Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Last week in our study of the book of Romans, chapter 12, Pastor Murphy showed us that a Christian's response towards difficult circumstances should be to rejoice in hope and to be patient in tribulation. Today, we'll see what it means to be patient in tribulation. All right, if you've got your Bibles, would you turn with me, please, to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Romans, chapter 12. I want to read from verse number 9 and to the end of the chapter, and then we will come back to our text in verse number 12. Verse number 9 of Romans, chapter 12. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, Distributing to the necessity of the saints and given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you and bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one towards another. Mind not high things but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil, provide that uh, provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And then we go back to our text in verse number 12. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. So I want to move now to the second thing that Paul talks about. He says to us, patience in tribulation. I mentioned to you that hope gives birth to patience and that patience is the child of hope. And I would say to you this morning that so long as there is hope, patience can survive. The moment hope dies, patience expires. I repeat that. As long as there is patience, as long as there is hope, and hope is alive, patience can survive. But when hope dies, patience expires. They must go together because they need each other. In other words, what I'm saying to you this morning, that hopelessness kills patience. And then it gives birth to what I might call a bastard child called impatience that leads to so much trouble. 
Let me put it again. I'm saying to you that hopelessness kills patience. And that same hopeless when it kills patience, it gives birth to the bastard child of impatience that causes us to go get into so much trouble. Even great men, when they've lost hope and become hopeless as it were, now find that impatience begins to rule their life and then it, it kind of fills their whole life with trouble. Let me, let me use an illustration. Jacob, remember when Jacob was born? You remember the story? Who came out first? Esau came out first. He's the firstborn. Don't forget that. But remember when he came out first, Jacob had his heels. He's called a heel snatcher. And the Lord says, the older shall serve the younger. In other words, Jacob, you are going to be the firstborn. You're going to inherit whatever the firstborn is supposed to inherit. But then as life goes on, he begins to realize, but wait a minute, where is my inheritance? How am I going to become the firstborn? He became impatient. People ask the question, well, how, how would God know what made Jacob the important? Well, look, there's a very simple solution. I probably know. God gives life and he takes life. He could take Isaac before he took Jacob. He could have done that. Esau before he took Jacob. Easy. Esau could have cut him into the fence like Levi did and Simeon did and they were disinherited. Something could have happened. But he became impatient. So what did he do? Out of impatience, he now uses his own machination, his own mind. Out of his own depraved thinking, he tries to engineer a plan that he will become the, the firstborn. So what does he do? He steals his brother's birthright. And then what he does, he steals his brother's blessing. And all it created between them is war. It mashed up the family. Because he was so impatient, he couldn't wait for God to work things out. He has to work things out. And that's why we need this principle of patience when we're going through tribulation. We only need hope, but we need patience. And then I mentioned another major character that failed in this level as well, who did not allow patience to rule in his life. That, of course, is the First monarch of Israel called Saul, the man that stood head and shoulders above everybody else and everybody fell in love with because he seemed to be uh, the tallest guy in Israel. And they became enamored with him, fascinated with him. He became the king. Remember he's going to war with the Malachites. God said, Look, go into Malachi. Remember what Malachi did when Israelites were coming to the, the promised land and they, uh, they challenged the people, etc. God said, listen, it's time for me to deal with them now. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So I want to just go and wipe out the whole, the whole group. Wipe them out. Samuel says to Saul, wait, wait before, and I will make a sacrifice before you go into this, this, this war. Wait. Saul waited seven days. Samuel didn't come. Seven days. And Saul took 
the job or the priesthood into his own hand and he made his own sacrifice. And the moment he has finished his sacrifice, guess who comes? Turns up, Samuel. Samuel was on his way, you know. Samuel was on his way to Saul, but Saul didn't know Samuel was coming on time. So the very day Samuel is coming, it's the very day he can't wait because it seems so long. I remember that his impatience costed the kingdom. It was taken away from him. I'm saying to you this morning that one of the great resources that God gives to us is this quality of call. It's one of the fruit of the spirits. And he gives that fruit so that we can patiently wait on him. We see circumstances. We want to just push through these circumstances. We can't handle our trouble or tribulation. We don't want to wait. We just want an easy, quick solution. I want to get out of here. I just want to move out of here. I can't handle this anymore. You know. And God says, no, patience is what you need. Now let's examine that expression, uh, patience and tribulation. And let's begin, first of all, by looking at these terms that we find here in this passage. Let's take the word patience. Uh, the word that we find in this passage uh, is a combination, of a, is a compound word that comes from two Greek words that are fused together. Uh, the word actually is hupomeno. The word hupo means under. And the word meno means to abide or remain. So the word patience means to remain under. Don't run away. Don't try to escape. Remain under. See, whatever you're facing, remain under. See, how many people like to hear that? When people come to you for counsel, they always want to have an easy way out. Easy way out. They want you to open some kind of a back door or some kind of a side door or some kind of a trap to just escape. They're not concerned. When you say, listen, you've got to stay and work this thing out. You've got to have patience. See? That's not what people want to hear. That's not the kind of Christianity that they love. They want magic solutions see? that doesn't exist except only in the occultic mind or the shamanistic mind, but not in the Christian religion. Christian religion is not for cowards. It's for people who have counted the cost and willing to pay the price. That's what Christianity is all about. Tyre, in his lexicon, defines it with several words. He says it means to remain under, it means to abide. It means not to recede or flee. It means to preserve. It means to endure. It means to bear bravely and calmly. That's the meaning of this word. So when Paul says patience and tribulation, Paul is saying you not only need hope and rejoice in hope, but while you're rejoicing in hope, you've got to be very patient under whatever is on you. What's weighing you down? Remain under it. That's what Paul is saying in this passage. And by the way, the word tribulation, the Greek word is the word klepsis. 
And the original word has the idea of something pressing you down as if it wants to crush you. It means pressing together. It means pressure. It means affliction. It means oppression. It means tribulation. It means distress. It means to be in straits. You ever heard that expression, you're in straits? When you're in straits, it means that you are in a situation where you don't see your way out. You're boxed in. And Paul is here saying to believers, in your circumstances in life, you're going to meet situations where what will sustain you is the hope of the Lord's return, take you to glory, to take you out of this mess you're in. But that hope will endure, enable you to endure and stay under this pressure. Anybody here under pressure? COVID gave you any pressure? Antigua gave you any pressure? Well, I tell you what, what Paul is saying is remain under the pressure. Don't just try to run away and escape the pressure. That's what Paul is saying here in this passage. So I'm saying to you this morning as a person, there are things in your life that are going to try to almost flatten you out because they're so burdensome and put so much pressure on your soul that you almost feel as though it's crushing the very life of you. And Paul says, be patient with it. Remain under it. This could mean circumstances over which you have no control. And who doesn't face circumstances under which you don't have any control? I don't care where you are working. You're not your own man. You're not your own woman. I don't care even if you run a house. Even then, you're not under total control because you got your wife, you got your kids. You got to take those into control. It could mean that you're under the pressure of a false accusation. Anybody slander your name recently? That got your name in the, in, in the streets and when people meet you, they're telling you things that, <laughs> quite frankly, that, and by the way, I don't know about for you, but for me, that's all I have is reputation. When a man attacks my reputation, he attacks me. That's all I've got in life, reputation. So any man that attacks my reputation, he done the greatest injury to me. And people may not understand that. To live under the crushing load and burden, the pressure of that. Maybe it's a redundancy. And you know, when, when companies want to get rid of people, they always talk restructuring. <laughs> it sounds so nice. Restructuring. All they mean they want to get rid of you. But they don't want to use the term that, you know, we want to cut down staff. We're restructuring. Yeah. Maybe you have to deal with that during COVID. Fancy term. That's the pressure. Are you dealing with infidelity? You feel that weight? You can't believe that the very person you trusted has put a sword in your gut. Tough thing to do. A broken relationship, maybe. Betrayal of confidence, something you told somebody so privately. 
And then they know scandalize it and broadcast it. And you'll say, but wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. See, you ever had that kind of a pressure on you? See, what about your masking of privacy? One of the saddest things I know in life with women is that when they're with men and they take all these pictures, then the men post it on, online. I wonder, God, how in the world they ever live that down? The most private part of their life is now exposed in the public because that's the way the guy gets back at them. See? You saw pressure? By the way, everybody you see, you, see, you think they, they saw your pictures. And they may have never seen them. But you live constantly under that pressure. See? Scripture tells you that you are going to face tribulation. And what about abuse of some kind? I'm not talking about just physical abuse. What about verbal abuse? Living under the weight of that. When Paul uses the term here, tribulation, that's what he's talking about. Pressure. Things that put pressure on you, circumstances that put pressure on you as a believer. And Paul is saying to you as a Christian, the way to handle that is to keep your mind and your, 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 your mind on the Christian hope. But also, Paul is saying, you've got to know tapping to the Spirit who gives you this gift of patience. Remember that we are given the, the gift of patience, the fruit of the Spirit and love, joy, and patience and long suffering. We are given that. Now we tap into that. We don't like it. It's most difficult for us. We just like everybody's going to run away. Get out of the situations, form a new, a new life. But God said, no, be patient. See? Be patient. Brethren, no one knew more about tribulation than the man that wrote this verse. You're sitting there this morning, you're probably saying to yourself, Pastor Murphy, you talk about tribulation, what tribulation you had in life? You're telling me to be patient in tribulation. What, 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 what tribulation you had in comparison to what I'm dealing with or what I've dealt with? But this is not my counsel. This is God's counsel to the Apostle Paul and it's to a man who knew more about tribulation than any one of us sitting here this morning. Nobody knew more about trouble than the Apostle Paul. As a matter of fact, in several of his books, he gives us a sampling of the type of situations he encountered and all the kind of troubles that Paul faced. We must never visualize Paul as a theologian sitting down in his office, surrounded by books, enjoying an intellectual life. If that's the image you have the Apostle Paul, you really don't understand what Paul was. Paul was an evangelist. He was a traveler. He was an apostle. He was a churchman. He was a man that was constantly on the, on the move, traveling by land and traveling by sea. He's a man that was, if he was not in prison, he was in church. In other words, a man that full knew all the whole gamut of what trouble is. To give you an idea of how this man, who is now telling you to be patient in tribulation, to give you an idea of that he is not speaking as an ivory tower theologian 
who theoretically tell you these things, but a man who have gone through and experienced these kind of encounters. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians, he gives you two lists of things he had to endure and troubles he had to encounter and how he had to deal and be very patient with these things. You never find Paul anytime he's in this kind of a trouble. He's trying to find an escape route. He is patiently waiting on God because God is going to use that situation to shape Paul and also to shape lives. Look how he described himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I look south troubled. I look east troubled. I look west troubled. However I look, I'm surrounded by trouble. So when this man tells you be patient, this is a man who knows he had to be patient and he practiced it. And he knew it's one of the great resources God has given to the church to deal with circumstances. Look at verse 8. We're troubled on every side, not distressed. We are what? Perplexed. You know what it is to be perplexed? Perplexed is when you're in a situation and you just don't know what in the world to do. You're lost. Lord, what do I do in a situation like this? Completely baffled by the situation. He doesn't stop there, does he? Look at verse number nine. Persecuted. But surely a manly apostle Paul who has given so much of his life to the Lord and so dedicated and so committed. Surely a man like that will not be persecuted. I just got some books online. I just got one by Ron Rhodes. And he is one of the great Christian apologists today. He, he's, he writes so many books. As a matter of fact, I, I probably downloaded about 12 of his books already. Very good writer. Very, very logical. Very simple, but very, very profound as well. He's a thinker. But I was reading his book on the Christian response to the Muslims. And uh, he was explaining why the Muslims do not believe that Christ was the Son of God. You know what the reason was? God would never allow his son to suffer. That's what, that's what the mother, God would never, there's no way. You know what they call it? They said if God allow his son, that is child abuse. And I'm saying to myself when I was reading that, the thing that we glory in, that God loved us so much, to allow his son to suffer on our behalf to take our place that our sins will be removed is a barrier to the Muslims who cannot believe that God could love us so much to allow his son to die for us. It was a complete contrast. I'm saying that to say this. The Apostle Paul is certainly one of God's favorites. But no one suffered more than he did in his service to, his living, to, to the God of heaven. He said, we're troubled on every side. We're persecuted. Then he said, cast down. You know what the word cast down is? Read the book of Psalms. Why is my soul cast down? He's depressed. That's the biblical word for depressed. He's down in the dumps. He's going through the blues. You ever been depressed yet? You ever been in the dumps yet? This is what Paul faced. 
And when we get depressed, we go to the doctor and tell us, give us a pill, an antidepressant pill. See? We don't have the patience to wait through it. Paul had no magic solutions, no modern medicine. And then he said, he's a state of self-death, verse 10 of chapter, uh, chapter 4. Let me read that verse for you. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the life of Christ might be made manifest. And then verse 10, for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. Constantly living in danger of death. Now you've got to be living in New York City today to, to, to be constantly that way, but you don't find it in the Caribbean. I, I must tell you, by the way, Antigua is one of the most peaceful countries in the Caribbean. I repeat that. You've got to be proud of that. It's not perfect, but very peaceful. I talk to uh, like people who come here sometimes, and I always ask the question, what do, what do you like about Antigua? And they always tell me, it is so peaceful. The couple that came here the other day, that stayed in the apartment for over a week, that's the first thing I asked. I said, what do you really like about He said, man, listen, you drop me at the beach, you come back for me, you drop me at 9 o'clock, you come back for me at 4 o'clock. I don't have any trouble, nobody troubles me, I just have a peaceful situation. Now, he's coming from a, a South American country where, of course... You gotta keep your chain, you gotta put it in. You can't watch it, you can't wear your watch in your hand and stuff like that. See. But Paul is saying, This is how I live. Every day of my life is in danger as an apostle. This is my circumstance of my life. And I, I have learned. I, I you think I enjoy this? But if you think that list is bad, look at chapter eleven of the same book. Look at verse 23. Are there ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundantly, in stripes above measure, in prison more, more frequent, in deaths off. And then in verse 24 and down, he then begins to he give you those four categories. Now they begin to uh, itemize those things and elaborate with more specificity. Look what he says in verse number 24. Of the Jews, five times receive I 40 stripes, save one. Did, did you just hear what Paul said? Five times I received 39, 39 stripes from the Jews. In other words, if you were to see Paul's back, you would see 195 marks on his back. See? That's what you would see. You got any licks recently? Anybody spit on you recently because you're a Christian? Anybody give you any kind of trouble for the Christian? Or they tell you they don't want you to visit the home and they don't have time for the track and you feel so insulted and so hurt. But where's the pain? 195 strikes, Paul is saying. I suffered for Christ. He said in verse 25, thrice was I beaten with rods. And I thought you guys had strikes, but no, you thought rods too. So not only the cat of nine tails, but also rods. See, Three times. He said, I suffered shipwreck. Thrice I shepherd shipwreck. Three times. Now we only know one time in the book of Acts where Paul had a shipwreck. 
The book of Acts does not include the whole of Paul's missionary life story. It's what Luke selected that was needed to talk about the church advancing. But Paul said three times, I was shipwrecked. And then he said, a night and day in the ocean, a watery grave. I did all that. I suffered all of this. I have a right to tell you be patient because I had to be patient. I was sustained by hope and patience. That's what kept me. And God don't have resources for me and a different resource for you. The same resource I drew on, you must now draw on as well as a believer. And then look at verse number 26. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among my brethren. Verse 27, in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings, in hunger, in thirst, in cold, in nakedness. When last you went hungry? When last you didn't have anything to drink? No, your cupboards, man, are lying from one to the other. You don't even know what the word hunger is. You don't even know what it is to, you don't even know what it is to, to not want. See? You may not get the ham that you want, or the pork that you want, or the beef that you want. But really, in truth of fact, you don't know the idea of want whatsoever because there's always something there. Paul says, I was hungry and thirsty. I was even naked without proper clothing. See? This is a man that is serving God, you know. This is not a man serving the devil. This is a man serving God, but yet God puts him through so much. And here you and I, living almost in a virtual paradise, complaining what we don't have. Miserable because of what we don't have. I repeat, the modern church is a gullible, greedy, godless church. And that's why it falls victim to all the false teaching around itself today. The Apostle Paul knew suffering and no one was more qualified to speak on this subject than the Apostle Paul. And here's what he knew. He knew that all Christians would experience a measure of suffering in their life at some time along that journey. All. Now, where are you on the journey? You've met it easy so far, but I want to call you to reality. The tough days are coming if you don't know that they're coming. See, Maybe now you're going through a tremendous Trying, Pastor, I am now at this juncture. As a matter of fact, I, I, just, I just, I'm a loss as to what to do. As a matter of fact, I am so angry at God. I'm so angry at life. I'm so angry at the whole world. I just wish somehow I can fly away and disappear. I'm at the brink maybe of apostasy. You know what Job's wife told him? Curse God and die. I'm here to tell you this morning that God has another word for you. And here's his word for you. 
rejoice in the hope that you have, but also be patient. Be patient in your tribulation. Bear under it. I don't have time to go through this. I'm going to stop here for just, uh, just now. But listen, you know one of the reasons why you are going to have to do bear under it? Because there's something God is going to teach you that you can only learn through tribulation. You know what it is? Tribulation, work of what? Patience. I repeat. Tribulation teaches you patience. And patience teaches you what? Experience. That's, in other words, there is a sequence. You can't get patience without tribulation. And you can't develop a life of experience going through things the hand without you've been through this whole thing. So there's a process that God is working up to mature you. That's why he says, bear under it. Bear under it. It's crushing you down. It's squashing you. But bear under it. Sustained by hope. And sustained by patience. Now I would like to say this in closing. We'll come back to this and finish it up next Sunday. But our Lord told us that there are two inescapable realities about the Christian life. I repeat, there are two inescapable realities about the Christian life. Our Lord himself told us these two things will happen. He said, number one, when it comes to this world, two things you must be prepared for. Number one, this world is going to hate you. Did you hear what I say? This world is going to hate you. Not if, but. If it hated me, it would hate you. And you know why it hated me? Because I came as a light. And men love darkness rather than light. Here is the inference he's making. So long as you are a Christian, act as the light you're supposed to be, the world would hate you. Because light exposes wrong, evil. That's what light does. Then he said a second thing. The world will hate you. And this, he says, in this world, you should have what? Tribulation. We cannot escape these two things, my dear friend. The Lord of heaven has already told us these are two inevitable certainties that no one can escape who's a true believer. The hatred of the world and the tribulation that comes as a result of living in the world. Unavoidable. And by the way, the Apostle Paul and Simon Peter reaffirm the same basic fundamental thoughts. You know what Paul says? If any man would live godly, he will do what? Suffer persecution. Here's the problem, and I hope you understand the whole thing is, if a Christian is living a godly life where he is light, 
he is going to face persecution and tribulation. Must. In your workplace, if you're light in your workplace, you'll be hated. Not asking you, I'm telling you. When you tell that young man, I don't want to hear nastiness you did on Saturday and where you went and what you did. Keep that to yourself. I'm a Christian and I'm not going to put up with that crap from you in the workplace. You know what happened to you then? You become the enemy. But you don't have the boldness to stop the thing. You listen to it because salaciously and vicariously you might enjoy hearing it. So you're not light. So you're loved. Be different. Be different. And then Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, why do you count it strange that this fiery trial has come upon you? It should not be something strange. Have you forgotten what the master said in the world? You'll have trials. Why do you call it strange? Here you are enjoying life and then bam! Trouble you didn't expect. It's so strange. It's only strange because you're living the kind of a Christian life that you're so sheltered. You, your light is not even shining. So nothing happens basically. You're just a nonchalant Christian just floating along the road. So you think it's strange. I challenge you as I close this sermon this morning to take your New Testament and take your Old Testament and go through both your Old Testament and New Testament from beginning to end and find me, find me one single solitary godly man in the Bible who did not have trouble and did not face difficulty. You find it. It's not there. But I go even further. I ask you to search the 2,000 years of church history and find me one godly man in the 2,000, I don't care what century, find me one man in any century who lived the godly life who did not have tribulation and trouble. Such a creature doesn't exist. It comes as part of the package of being a believer. And God is using it Tribulation, work of patience, patience, workers, experience, and experience bring us back to hope again. It's a full cycle. It keeps hope going. That's how you keep hope going. Read it in Romans chapter 5, you see. Now, I know you might not have come here to hear that this morning, but you need it. You need it. Because this is God's solution to how you deal with your unfavorable circumstances. This is how he says you deal with it. See? So Pastor Murphy, that's all you got to say to us? Yes. Because that's all that God has to say. See? And if his solution don't work for you, there's no other solution outside of this. So I would ask you as a believer to go back to your scripture and uh, whatever you're dealing in life, whatever it is, let these things sustain you. See? They work. They work because God works see, in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you for those who sat here and listened. 
We trust that did not weary your people into exhaustion. We trust that we've been able to take your word and uh, do an exposition that brings out the, the meat that is there. I trust, Lord, that the meat that is there produces the strength that is needed so that believers in the varied circumstances of life might come through triumphantly and victoriously. You're such a great God, such a wise God. And the greatest indication of your greatness and your wisdom is the simplicity of your truth. You make it so clear to us. Oh Lord, help us to simply, by faith, accept your word, apply your word to our situation. May we turn to these resources. May there be the endless supply of the resources that we need as we deal with circumstances. May they be so imprinted in our minds that they become an automatic go-to when situations develop that test us. Lord, I don't know who here this morning needed to hear what was said, but I trust in their mind they might be thanking you this morning that you have used your word to help them, to strengthen them, to give them a new perspective on life and how to cope with whatever comes our way. We bless you this morning. We praise you this morning. We honor you this morning. We love you this morning. And Lord, we desire to serve you this morning more now than before with a greater sense of what you're doing, with a greater dependence on your resources, and with a completely changed outlook on life and this world. Transform us through thy word. Thy word is truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us practical principles to help the believer be patient during trials and tribulations. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.